love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. This is a true Canadian love story. We were meant to be together. I can't imagine my life without you. Honestly, he's a light of my life. It's nice to be in that tractor beam of love. I'm her biggest fan. I think I knew I'd lost my heart again. I knew I wanted a marriage like that. Difficult roads can lead to very beautiful destinations. Well, love is the most important thing. Hi, I'm Star Cunningham. Normally, you are hearing from your host, Nancy Regan, but not this week. We are turning the tables on Nancy, and she is now the one in the guest chair. I'm the president and CEO of the Mental Health Foundation of Nova Scotia, and like Nancy, a former longtime TV broadcaster. In fact, we worked together. We shared a lot, including a makeup room. And I am your special guest host for this very special episode. Now, you know Nancy as the host of the Canadian Love Map, but Nancy recently wrote her first book called From Showing Off to Showing Up, An Imposter's Journey from Perfect to Present. It's a memoir with a side of self-help. Let's sit down with Nancy for a heartfelt and honest conversation about this labor of love. This is the Canadian Love Map. And here we are. The da, tables have turned. Da, da, da. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been in the interviewer chair, and I bet you it's been even longer since you've been in that chair. Yeah, I, I actually went back to our old stomping grounds last week, and they interviewed me on CTV, and it was surreal because it was a studio where we both worked, and and I was absolutely used to being in, in the seat control. where <laughs> I was in control. And it is very, it's a very different experience, you know. Sure, you're on TV in the same way, you're speaking to an audience, but you're playing defense instead of offense. <laughs> so I'm getting my center of gravity low. Okay. Okay. You're you're low. I'm. I'm. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm ready. I'm over here and I'm ready to volley some oh, really good questions geez, your way. Okay. <laughs> First, I want to start by saying thank you for asking me to do this. Um, I had the pleasure of being one of your pre-readers for the book, and when you asked if I was uh, up for this challenge, I jumped in with both feet because it gave me an opportunity to read the book again. Because I think everybody should read it twice. How's that for an endorsement? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Can you put that in writing, please? Sure, sure. I'll do that after we're done. No, that's so nice. And I honestly, I was so excited when you said yes so easily because I thought, oh, I don't know if she's going to want to do this. I know you're swimming in a different pool these days as the head of the Mental Health Foundation of Nova Scotia and doing amazing and important work, uh, shining your light, sister. Yeah, and you know there's so much in your book that's about mental health, mental wellness, um, and, you know, self-love, uh, self-care. So I think I think it's a good match, you and yeah. me here. Thank you. Across that the table my from idea. each other. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate you saying that. So I'm going to start by asking probably the most obvious question about the title, um, because I get the an imposter's journey from perfect to present, and I kind of understand like the thinking behind showing up but showing off what do you mean by that because when I would think of showing off in the past I would think of you know someone kind of trying to be really showy and dorky and uh trying to 
be everything for everyone. Yeah, well, that's actually not far from what I mean, to tell you the truth. So um, it's a book about, as you can tell in the subtitle, perfectionism and imposter syndrome, both of which I definitely uh, had chronically. Um, but for me, showing up and showing off are very different ways of being in the world. And showing off is a way of uh, walking through your life where you are very much focused on other people's expectations. It's sort of externally referenced. It's how are people going to judge me? How am I going to get praise? And looking for people's good opinions. Showing up, on the other hand, oh, and the first one obviously comes with people pleasing as well, which was chronic as well for me. Showing up, on the other hand, is really stepping into your own authenticity and saying, this is who I am, which is sometimes hard for people around you who aren't used to that because it's like, wait a second, they, people love to put others in boxes. And even those, you know, celebrities that we don't know, we like to sort of put them in boxes and think, okay, this is who they are. And so you know how when celebrities step out of their regular role as a movie star and, and speak up in the political arena or for the environment, a lot of people give them a hard time and say, you're just a celebrity. Well, no, you're a human being and that's them showing up. So that's my, that's my best explanation. Does it make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Mm. It's when I think of showing off, I think that's what other people say about you. I don't know that I'd recognize it in myself. So, so that was kind of the part that I wanted a little bit of extra explanation on. Yeah. And for me, Star, that was a journey to recognizing it in myself, recognizing when I was um, acting in a way that was really about getting uh not just praise, but just living up to people's expectations. And frankly, beneath that was my fear of being deeply inadequate. And when I do presentation training with people, and actually I'll do a quick aside because I think I've told you this book was supposed to be, I pitched this book to the publisher as a book about the fear of public speaking, which is sort of, you know, a businessy book. Absolutely. But when I coach people, I'm, I'm what I call subversively soulful. And so when they were seeing what I was writing, the publishers said, we think there's a different book here and we want you to take the fear of public speaking out of the title. And I was like, what? <laughs> Which put me right into fear. But here's the underlying concept that the fear of public speaking, I believe, is actually the fear of public being. And beneath that is the fear of being seen, and beneath that, the fear of being seen as inadequate. And if you dig beneath that, it's our fear that we actually are inadequate. And it's our greatest secret, and we don't want anyone to know it. And so, so much of my life, I think, was focused on not letting people know how inadequate I really was. And that, that started before I even landed in television, but the fact that I was 22 when I became the host of a TV show that had the biggest audience east of Montreal, probably 300 to 350,000 people at the time daily, um, no wonder I you know, felt like an imposter because I landed in that job through pure fluke, I think, and I had no um, 
I had no grounding in broadcasting school or journalism school, and I had just been at the right place at the right time, and I had, you know, some skills, but I was really just looking for advice as to whether to go to broadcasting or journalism school. And the people at CTV Atlantic said, oh, well, we'll give you an audition. <laughs> and the rest just sort of kept happening. So I, I feel like when I started on air, I could see all these people around me who were accomplished and who were grounded in an education and a, a career in this field. And all I knew was that I was out of my depth, but I was a good actor. So I acted the part and people thought I was confident and, and at ease, which is, I think, a great accomplishment now. <laughs> I'm kind of amazed. Well, when you turn back the hands of time, you learned how to be a great actor at a very young age. Yes, I did, because I grew up in a family that was political. My dad was in politics and had a high profile in our part of the country. And I learned at a young age that you need to be liked to keep your job. You know, I was 12 when he lost a big election. And I remember that being, I, I felt a little bit like a turtle without its shell. I was so tender about that. I just, I felt that, oh, the province has told him that no. You can't have your job anymore. You're not good enough. And so the stakes in terms of being liked are pretty high when you're a child growing up in that world. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I grew up in uh, rural Nova Scotia mm -hmm. where my grandfather and my father ran the local store. So it, it's not the same as politics, but you want everyone from every political stripe to shop at your store. You want your family to be in church every Sunday. Um, and one of the things I, I connected with when I was reading your book was I used to get a pinch to smile. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, a little, you know, when, you know, you were at the mall or you were, no matter where you were, uh, you know, mom would just lean over and give me a little pinch. <gasps> and that little pinch meant smile. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly how, especially as girls, mm -hmm. we were brought up. Now I know boys have their whole other deal. You know, boys are told not to cry. And the bottom line is that we all as children are shiny lights and then the world calms that down sort of turns down our dimmer switch and tells us be good behave um be quiet but rarely as children are we told be just be your full self and so the idea that yes you've got a smile and then you get you see the difference in your parents and, and the world's reaction to you when you smile and you're charming and you're oh you got to learn to be ladylike, which for me was a bit of a, a trip because I was a total tomboy. So I won't pinch you today though. <laughs> you can't reach me. We're not sitting close enough because of COVID. That's right. You're lucky we're distanced. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned light and uh, you talk about the dimmer switch and light plays such an important role in your book. It's the perfect metaphor from, you know, when you talk about being in a hole and then being able to see a light and it turning into a tunnel and then the dimmer switch and then living in your light and feeling your light. Why is light the metaphor of choice for you? 
Well, it's uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer's fault, probably, <laughs> that I overuse it, maybe. Oh, I don't think it's overused. <laughs> I think it's used beautifully. Yeah, it's thank perfect, you. perfect uh, metaphor. So I worked on a tour with Wayne Dyer, who before that tour, I, I did the introductions and um, uh, sort of held the container. Uh, and it was a really interesting experience because before I actually worked on the tour with him in Eastern Canada. I had never met him, and I hadn't really listened to much of his stuff. I'd seen him occasionally on PBS. You know, most people like me, I knew him as the bald guy on PBS. Yes, remind us who he is yes. for the listeners who aren't Yes, aware. so Dr. Wayne Dyer is one of the um, most successful and most influential uh, self-help thought leaders but he passed away a few years ago, and it was actually just a few months after that tour that we did. So he he was doing this tour called I Am Light. And before it started, I, of course, started to cram and read his books. And I was so taken with what I read and then so taken by him because this man just sort of – he didn't stand. He sat on stage in a big easy chair with, you know, 1,500 people in the audience. And there was no showing off at all. He was just totally present and willing to shine his light. So what I got from that tour was the idea that we are all filled with light. And sometimes we forget that, you know, it's part of being human. We forget that we're, we're, perfect or we're, we're divinely connected or whatever. And when I was driving home from one of his shows, I had this image of the little dimmer switch in our living room when I was a kid. And you could, you could turn it. It was a circular switch and you could turn it. You could turn it all the way down and it would look like the lights were out, but it wasn't actually switched off until it clicked. And I thought, oh my gosh, human beings are like that. Like we have our lights turned down, but we also turn our own lights down, I think, especially when we're teenagers, you know, we don't want to be noticed. We want to fly under the radar. And we turn down that dimmer switch until we forget that we have a light. And for some slow learners like me, it takes until you're 50 to remember and to start to stoke that fire again and to embrace it. And for me, actually recognizing my own light had to be preceded by understanding what I didn't like about myself. And that's what I do with presentation coaching as well, because I think that um, before you can really be comfortable on a stage or in a conversation or in an interview, you name it, you've got to feel comfortable in your own skin. And I don't think we can feel comfortable until we like ourselves. And I think we can't really like ourselves until we figure out what it is that we don't like about ourselves. That shadow part, as Carl Jung would say, that you know the parts of ourselves that we don't want to admit are part of our own personality or character psyche. And so this book is very much about that. It's about that kind of excavation dig to figure out what I didn't like about myself. And then 
embrace all parts of myself and and forgive myself and then move forward with with a, a whole new way of being in a way and and part of that was learning to um, as Glennon Doyle would say, feelings are for feeling. She's she's a great author. Of, uh, her book Untamed was an, a huge, enormous bestseller recently. And um, embodied emotion has been a big thing for me, learning to actually cry when I feel sad and to allow anger when I feel angry because, sit yeah, sit in it. And as girls, what are we told? That's not, no, girls don't act like that. And women aren't, allowed to be angry in our, you know, patriarchal society sometimes. So I'm trying to break that mold. And that helped me a lot, along with a beautiful conversation I had with Liz Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, and another book I love called Big Magic. And she talked about paradox in a way that just kind of spun me right around because she, she said her partner had been dying with cancer, and she said this simply, was I the perfect, compassionate caregiver, or was I a total narcissist caught in my own shit? And she said yes. To both. Yeah, and both are true. And that kind of flipped a switch for me. You know, I, I'm disorganized and messy and... I'm also creative and smart, and there are so many different paradoxes I can go through. So I learned that, oh, you know what? It's not the fact that I'm uh, uh, very disorganized, which comes from ADHD, which wasn't diagnosed until late in life. Now I can see that instead of it being a flaw, I can see it as being a gift, so let's go back and talk about the time your husband actually raised his voice at you. Oh, yeah. When you were looking for your keys <laughs> and cussing yourself out for being a bad person. That's, you know, I really think that was a pivotal moment for me because it was a pattern. I was, you know, I was always late. I was frustrated with myself, like annoyed with myself. And I was just spinning trying to find something before I left for a for a gig that I was doing. And he was witnessing this. Now I realize I'm laughing. Like I could just see him witnessing it, like, what is going on? And he sort of yelled at me, like, um, if you ever watch Seinfeld. Uh, I love Seinfeld. Yeah, Elaine's, I still watch it. Elaine's character. I, I, every Everything in life sort of boils down to a Seinfeld episode for me. But Elaine's character, when she's surprised, kind of pushes people. And this is how I feel about this, because he all of a sudden went, Nancy. And I stopped. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't raise his voice a lot. So I was like, what's going on? And he said, you're disorganized. Accept it and move on. It doesn't make you a bad person. And I was like, <laughs> explosion. <laughs> like there are fireworks going off yeah, in here, folks. Fireworks. Because for me, I realized wow, I really do think it makes me a bad person. And it made me think of something I had heard recently at that time in a retreat where someone said, every negative voice in our head, and I always had an internal critic just sort of running roughshod on me, telling me when I was on TV, that was a stupid thing to say. You know, oh, no, you don't, you don't even deserve this job. This little inner critic was always chattering away in my head. And... I realized 
Oh, and so what they had said at the retreat was that that negative voice or the negative things that we say to ourselves are patter that someone else has originally said to us. So it was it's a seed planted by someone else. By a teacher. Yes. Well, this one, I realized right away, oh my gosh, I thought about... Um, <laughs> Mrs. W, I call her. <laughs> to protect her identity. <laughs> That's right, exactly. And in and, and grade four, she stood above my desk. I remember every single thing about this. The whole class was sitting there. She stood above my desk looking down at me and uh, said, Nancy Regan, you are the most disorganized child I have ever seen in my life. And Star, I was a people pleaser. I wanted the gold stars. I was, you know, always trying to have the best behavior and and win um, uh, good feedback. But there was something, I, I feel like it was the first time my inner wisdom took control because there was something about that where my instinct just said, no, this is not okay. And you could tell it still makes me emotional. Like there's still emotion attached to this because I realized how long I held on to that idea that I was really flawed. So the funny part is that I got up. You're smiling. I know why. Because <laughs> you fled the scene. <laughs> I looked. I, I fled the scene. That's right. I, I looked at her and I got out, out of my chair. I didn't say anything. I walked to the door of the classroom, walked out of our tiny little school. I, I picked up my jacket on the hook, walked out the front door and ran like hell all the way home, <laughs> like looking over my shoulder to see if she or the principal were chasing me. And the, the funniest thing is that my mom made me go back in the afternoon, but the kids were all like, whoa, that was really brave. <laughs> and I had to sit with the principal in the in her little uh, library, tiny little library, not much bigger than this booth. And I remember so clearly her saying she was a loving presence. She was a wonderful woman. And she said, you know, Nancy, dear, I think you just let your anger get the best of you. And I thought, yeah, that's, that sounds good because I didn't understand the expression. And I thought she was telling me I did the right thing. It got the best of me. It was the me. best. Yeah. I was like, okay. She said, you're going to have to apologize to the teacher. So I did. And, you know, she never treated anyone like that again uh, in the rest of the year that I was there anyway. But what I didn't realize is that her words had really gone deeper than I could ever know and scarred me for decades. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because when you're telling that story, I'm imagining it happening to one of my kids and how I would react or happening to a friend uh, in the classroom. Um, but when you think about it happening to yourself, it is really hard to stand up and say, no, this isn't cool. Right. We don't normally do that. We don't. I'm We're shocked protectors I did. of other people and not of ourselves. Exactly. And I've always start I've always had that instinct to protect others. You know, if I see uh and I always go for the underdog for instance, but if I see someone who's being wrongly done by, I really want to jump in and help and and do something about it. But it was very unusual for me to be my own advocate. And I didn't do that a lot for the rest of my life. Like I think about that sweet little kid in grade three or grade four who did that. But, uh, you know, I stopped doing that. And I think that I, I realize now that so much of that was shame and guilt. You know, I love the work of Brene Brown, who um, 
she does a the uh, perhaps the most watched TED talk on the internet about vulnerability and connection, which is also so woven into this book and my life. But she also uh, talks about shame. And I remember watching her and watching this TED talk and really going, oh, yeah, this is good. And then she got into shame. And I was leaning back like, oh, wait a sec. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to talk about shame, really. And it was only through uh, the process of my own sort of self-discovery that I realized, yeah, that's what that's what's attached to our feelings of inadequacy, shame and guilt. And and the, the world does a good job of, of uh, sticking those things to us so that, you know, like with crazy glue. And then we're called, I think, to take those off. So I talk about the mask, like moving through the world with a mask that tells everybody everything's great. My life is perfect. I'm perfect. Everything's I've got everything together. And for me, I really felt like I was on the verge of falling apart a lot of the time. And so taking off that mask and really showing up and being vulnerable, even this kind of conversation where my old paradigm was be really prepared, have your notes, know exactly what you're going to say. And today we come into this conversation and I have no idea what's going to come out. I still have notes, but you don't. I know, but for me, it's totally free form. And this is my life now. I just am so grateful that I have arrived at a place. It's not a destination. I'm still on the journey because I'm a total seeker. And I hope that you got that from my book because I really want people to feel like I'm not teaching. I'm just sharing. I'm I'm a seeker, not a teacher in this in this manuscript. I don't know. So you write a book that's part memoir. It's your book, your very first book. <laughs> and like almost half the book is full of praise for other people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, it is. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's why, I guess. I use a lot of other people's words. It's true. I, I share what has been really helpful to me. And that's what I mean by saying... I'm not coming across as a teacher. I'm on the path with you. And I'm like, come on, here, I've got a flashlight. Come on, let me show you this path. It's awesome. That's my intention for this book. And let me ask you this since, oh yeah, this is my show after all. Um, did, did Did reading the book, now you had to read it twice, you poor thing, did it bring things up for you that you hadn't thought about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Good answer. <laughs> no, it, it totally did. And, you know, I relate it with it in so many ways, not just the obvious about, you know, we both did the same jobs. Uh, we both had two kids, then we got divorced. Yeah. I mean, there wow. are a lot of similarities. Wow. Yeah. Um, we were both in beauty pageants. Oh. <laughs> Shh. Let's not go there. Shh. It's bad enough I put that in the book. Let's not talk about it. You know, we both, um, we both struggled. Like yeah. you talked about your ADHD and that was a late diagnosis, but you had an addiction to approval. Yeah, I live with mental illness Mm -hmm. and it's taken me a long time to be able to say that out loud. In fact, when I made the move from CTV to the Mental Health Foundation, one of the top questions people asked me was, you know, what's the connection? Why are you going? And I I said, you know, there are a lot of people in my life who struggle or, you know, the stories that I've enjoyed most while being on CTV News at Five were those of people who came forward and were brave and courageous and shared their stories. Yeah, you said that to me. 
Oh, you remember? Yeah, I do. <laughs> well, they that was true. Yeah. But what I wasn't saying was because I've struggled for a very long time. And uh, what you call a hole, I've always called a pit. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, you know, I've been at the bottom of that pit too many times. Um, and your book um, was very validating for me and reassuring for that reason. Uh, like for the last almost two years, I've been going to weekly therapy sessions, seeing my psychiatrist, awesome. uh, you know, taking medications, figuring out what medications are best. And I'm saying that right now, live <gasps> on a podcast for oh. anyone to hear. And ever since I've owned that and not been scared to share it, I've had so much goodness come to me. That's it. And my relationships with people have um, gone so much deeper. Uh, you know, it's why the hell do we spend so much time hiding? You know, what is our most authentic self? You know what, Star? I am so grateful that you are sharing this. And it goes to exactly what I want to achieve. It's like, we all go, you know, you think about social media and I, I tell my kids like it's just it's people showing their PR and you're comparing other people's PR to your inner life. No, that's that's apples and oranges. And I think we all walk around showing each other how good everything is and we're all messed up. <laughs> you know, most of us are pretty messed up. And I I was walking this morning, I was doing a dog walk, sort of clearing my head before I came in here. And I had this thought, you know what, we're all either flawed or fraud. Ooh, I like that. I know, I think it might be the next title. <laughs> but for me, it was like, yeah, I think I was fraud for quite some time. And now I can own the fact that I'm flawed. And isn't it liberating? It is. And it then is. you realize, so when you read this book the first time and we talked, I was so moved because, as I said to my husband that night, I said, you know, without revealing even the content, I said, we had, we've known each other for 25 years. We had a different level of conversation than we'd ever had. You're damn right we and, did. And it opened it up. Yeah. That's why I'm wearing Converse on the cover <laughs> of the book, because I want to start a conversation. And I know that's corny, but it is. I want to converse with my audience and and talk about our flaws rather than how good we are and our achievements. And let's just be real. And th then we can celebrate our achievements and and beauty as well. There's a story in your book that, uh, you know, it it made me laugh out loud when I when it was just it was so obvious that you had a person in your life at the right time. Be vulnerable. Tell the truth. And her name is Sandy. And you were at a tea, a fancy tea with all these professional women who had on, as you like to call it, their suits of armor. Yeah. You know, their best suits. They had their hair done, their makeup, their nails done. Looking good. Everybody's doing their part to raise awareness for whatever the fundraiser was for doing at that good. time. Yeah. Doing good. Looking their best. And there was a suggestion that some of you uh, leave the tea and continue on, perhaps go downtown, spend a little time together. And tell, the, tell our listeners what Sandy said to you that rocked your world. Oh, my gosh. Isn't it funny? You look back at the map of your life and there are, there are forks in the road. And I, I really see this moment as one because she said something that was so simple but so enormous at the same time. She just said, no, my husband and I are really struggling in our marriage right now, and I think I just need to go home and, and be at home. 
And I was, it was like that, that Elaine push from Seinfeld. <laughs> I couldn't believe that A, she was speaking with that kind of um, openness because it wasn't a group where there was, and we weren't at an age where we had achieved that kind of um, wisdom connection and, and, connection and, and, and authenticity with each other. And uh, I was shocked also that there were people around who could hear her. And I was in the same situation. I would never have dreamt of saying it out loud for other people to hear. I was too busy suffering in my own silence. And, and um, eventually that led to me leaving my first marriage, uh, which uh, I talk about, you know, I, I am so fortunate to have the best ex-husband in the world. And he was one of the first people to read this because it was really important to me that he, A, be okay with it and sign off on it. But it wasn't, it wasn't about um, him. It wasn't about the marriage. As I realize now, it was about me. I needed to, I, I thought I could solve things by getting divorced and that was going to change my life and I was going to be happy. And, and then, you know, you make all these changes in your life and then you still have to face yourself. And you figure, look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. And figure it out. Okay. I still am not happy. I still don't like myself. What's going on here? And that's when I really started going on my own journey. So, yeah, Sandy played a huge role. I love that story. It's good, I isn't it? I can picture it going down. Like I think we can reaction. relate. Like, everybody yeah. can relate. And, and how intimidated. I hate the idea of ever intimidating anyone. And I know sometimes people feel intimidated by me because I have a profile in this region. And if I show up to MC an event, for instance, I, I might be dressed nicely and they think, oh, she's got it all together. She's so confident. And I really just want to blast that to smithereens, that whole idea, because I don't think anybody's got it all together. Mm -mm. I'm so happy to not have it all together now. You're happy with your dorky side now? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when I do workshops with teenagers, one of my top 10 things that TV taught me is you have to learn to embrace your inner dork. And I say to them, you know, one of, for me, my greatest secret was that I was actually a total dork and I was performing this role in the world of being this girl who was, you know, hopefully popular and, and, uh, nice and whatever. And now it's like, embrace that inner dork and star, you know, this is a, this isn't a, a connection to mental health. I've had teenagers, a one particular teenage boy come up to me after a workshop and take me aside and say, thank you so much because I feel like that. You talked about the inner dork. He said, I really thought I was the only one who felt that way. And he said, I see these, you know, I show video clips of me interviewing Oprah and that sort of thing. And he says, I see you and what you've done and you felt the same way. And I feel like that's going to change my life. And I just was like, I was that's crying for the rest of the day. That's, that's, you know, that's what we're here for. We're here to help each other. We're not here to judge each other. We're not here to make each other feel badly about themselves. I just think, like, can't we all just get along? <laughs> Lift each other up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned mental health again, because uh, one of the big things at the Mental Health Foundation is instilling a feeling of hope in people because, uh, you know, what we know is feeling and looking hopeful 
feels a lot better than yeah. talking about, you know, instead like of saying the system is broken, we don't say that. We uh-huh. say the system is under a great deal of stress because a system that has people going to work every day and working so hard in a career in a field that is like so incredibly challenging. How do, how do you say to those people, the system is broken? You can't. That's what yeah. they do. You know, the system is stressed. And one of the things we talk about a lot when we talk about mental health is our toolbox and how yeah. important it is to have tools in there. And you made reference to your toolbox and talked about some of the tools you use, um, like the art of presence. And we talk about PMT all the time, present moment thinking. It's a part of CBT, cognitive behavioral right. therapy. And it's about transformative. Incredibly so. And it's it's so simple that sometimes you think like it's just too simple. It's like to feel mentally healthy, you need to exercise, sleep, eat well, and have social connections. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's all those Can it things. really be that easy? Yeah. yeah. Like it can't be that easy <laughs> no, in every that's right. case. That's right. But it's we've we've forgotten that somewhere along the way. And we all need to have tools in our toolbox. Um, and I wonder... Do you have one tool in particular that helps you more than all the others? (laughs) Um, Yes. And it is a tool. I want to pick up first on what you said about um, the She's stalling again. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I hear This is what I do. This is what I do. I want to talk about hope because in my vernacular, in, uh, in my process, it's been being in that dark hole, figuring out what I didn't like about myself, and then realizing, oh, it's not a hole, it's a tunnel, because I could then see a little bit of light. And that, you know, hope for me is light. And I would say um, my greatest tool now, because it is absolutely, presence is a practice for me. It's not, again, I'm a seeker. I am on the path. It's it's um, uh, the work in progress kind of thing. I am not in a place where I am just present and zen all the time. I'm so far from that. My busy, busy mind is always swinging around and I have to slow it down and I have to just bring myself back into the present moment. And anxiety is a real thing for me. And that's my mental health issue where I could never have said that years ago, Star. I would never admit that to someone. That's what I was hiding. And that often comes with ADHD. You know, your mind is so busy. So for me now, when I start to get nervous, I feel my heart beating and I catch it. And that's a big part of a presence practice is actually witnessing yourself, being self-aware and go, oh, there I go. (laughs) Catch myself, bring myself back. So I feel my heart starting to pound and I know that, okay, okay, I'm spiraling. And so what I actually do is I start dancing to the beat of my own heartbeat heartbeat and it it's totally dorky thank mm-hmm. you very much yeah, yeah that looked but a little dorky because that of that because of that it makes me laugh and it totally takes the helium out of that stress balloon and I go huh, okay right I'm back I'm you back. know what now that you just said that and did that little demo I've seen you do that before <laughs> I have seen you do that before that little dance I I never knew what music you were dancing to yeah. Like even backstage before I go on to do an MC or a yeah, keynote or I've something. I've seen you do that when you're hosting stuff for the Mental oh, yeah. Health Foundation. Yeah. Like before you're getting ready to go on stage <laughs> for a different stage of mind. Or... I've given you all my secrets, girl. There you go. There you go. But it's a good one. Try it. It's it's really, uh, 
it's kind of fun. So it makes you go, oh yeah, I'm fine. Is that your number one tool? Just to be in tune with yourself? Yes, to be, to the present moment is my best friend and I leave it a lot (laughs) and I forget, but I come back to it and that's where I can remember that I'm okay. And, you know, yes, uh, yes and yes, I am nervous and I'm okay. Talking about vulnerability and the stuff you share in this book, like you share stuff that makes me laugh out loud. You talk about your hair, like that's a girly girl thing, but I mean, your hair plays a starring role in your life as when you're on TV. Uh, you know, you cry in your grief of losing people. Um, but I think the most vulnerable thing you do for me in the entire book is share your own poetry. That's a big share. It was scary to do that. Because poetry actually. is all from the heart. Yeah. And you're not sharing Wayne Dyer or Brené Brown. You're sharing like inside thoughts of Nancy Reagan. And there's one poem that stood out for me so much that I have actually slid it over there if you uh, look. <laughs> That's what this there. paper is. <laughs> That's what the paper is. <laughs> Before we started, she said, I'm going to put this here. It's something I want you to read, but I'm going to put a blank piece of paper on top of it so you can't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, Star, I want to say that my poems, I always feel like I want to apologize for my poems because, and, and I really am getting better at that, but they're just so simple. But they are, are um, tools for expressing emotion, and they often tend to land for people because they're so simple, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to see what's under here. Well, this, and it wasn't planned to make, like, life is simple and the theme of this interview, but it's kind of where we're going. You know, you're talking oh, about yeah. your poems being simple and and the human connection being simple. Um, share this one with us. Uh-huh. I didn't see it. I didn't see a title, so I'm not sure what the title is. Yeah, I didn't put any titles in. A lot of the poems have titles, but I chose not to put any in. And that was partly my editor's decision. My editor, Whitney Moran, was just a gift. She was, I don't, I'm sure I couldn't have done it without her. So I want to give her a shout out. But this, and she embraced me putting poems in. I wasn't sure. And she was like, no, it's, it's feeling right. You've got to do it. So this one goes like this. Don't love me because I'm special. Don't love what I achieve. Gold stars cause scars and forge the need to please. Love me for who I am in my deepest, darkest heart. A fearful fraud, simply flawed, trying to be smart. See that and see my light, the beauty of my soul. Just like you, trying to get through this journey back to whole. And do you know what? I had no idea flawed and fraud were in this poem. <laughs> that's wild. I didn't know that. I, that's really interesting because that surfaced for me this morning and I had no idea. <laughs> it's a so, beautiful poem. It's a beautiful poem and it's very raw and it leads into um, a question that's asked at the end of the book. It's a simple question. I'm not going to give it away because uh, you have to buy the book and read it to understand <laughs> the question. But but your book ends with a question. And my answer to that question is an emphatic yes. Thank so you. I would challenge uh, everyone else to read it and share their answer because uh, you need you need to show up. Yeah, share their answer with me. I love that you say that because it is a conversation. So 
if if someone reads it and has an answer to that question, I would love to hear it. Like that'll be the greatest, uh, you know, treat if people actually answer it and and engage and and converse with me. Let's do <laughs> that. To then. the converse. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Nancy, I'm, uh, you know, you did mention that we've known each other for 25 years and I've often looked at you and thought, wow, I want to be just like her. <laughs> you silly uh, girl. <laughs> with awe at your, uh, you know, your poise, your, um, your candor, your charisma, your personality, your ability to hold it all together at times when I know things were falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's never been a moment where I felt more proud to be your friend than right now. So thank you for that. Thank you, Star, from the bottom of my heart, really. Uh, this has been a beautiful gift from you to me, and I, I appreciate it. This is First of all, you gave me the gift of reading it, and now this. So thank you, and thank you on behalf of uh, the listeners of the Canadian Love Map, and thank you to the listeners of the Canadian Love Map for indulging us today. And uh, it was a, I wasn't sure when they said, Nancy, you're going to be the subject. <laughs> I was like, what? No, no, wait a second. Um, but I'm, I'm, really, uh, I'm really feeling very thankful. Thanks so much for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. This has been a Podstarter production. production.